This is the Masters of Cinemacast. My name is Joachim Thiessen, and today I have with me a very special guest, someone that I look up to in the podcasting community. Ryan Gallagher, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very, very much for having me. Before we start talking about you and your history, I thought I could just mention that Masters of Cinema, they will have some new announcements out on Monday, the 25th of November. And this podcast will probably be up after that, but um, I have no idea what they're going to release. Uh, Masters of Cinema, they're not uh, real big on like hinting at their releases, are they? No, not. not uh, I mean, Criterion has been in the past, although they've kind of backed off of the teases uh to to some extent uh but yeah the message of cinema they only they'll only tease at when they're going to announce the titles uh on twitter yeah you can't really look to what criterion has released lately to find out what uh, master cinema are going to release or what kino has released lately because it seems like they're they're going their entirely uh, own route uh, and that's a good thing but it, it makes it hard for us to predict uh, <laughs> releases any uh any wishes do you guys have a like a running wish list of titles that you hope they do i've given up trying to get a overview of what's released and what's not released that that would take up too much time for me so i'm just pleased whenever i i see the list of releases mm-hmm but uh, one release that is up on Netflix that has yet to be released by Master Cinema that we know of is uh, Computer Chess. Uh, have you seen this uh, Andrew Pajalski film? Well, I've seen most of it. I I was at the XOXO conference here in Portland a couple of months ago, and they screened it. It was a midnight screening, and it was I watched most of it, and then I had to end up leaving because I was it was going to be late, and I was going to catch the last bus home. Mm. Uh, but it is on Netflix. Kino has put out a DVD here in the U.S., and so you can watch it uh, either of those ways. And yeah, the Blu-ray for uh, I guess the Blu-ray hasn't been announced. Has the Blu-ray been announced for Computer yeah, Chess? Okay. It has. Oh, right, and you can get that print of the poster of the artwork that they mm. designed too. I don't know if that's uh, still available. I know it was really limited when I saw it on their website, and it's a little expensive. Yeah, I think I saw it on their native offer site uh, last night, uh, so I think it's still available. But what did you think of Computer Chess uh, when you saw it? Uh, I thought it was it was a little tough to get into, but uh, it seems very nerdy and kind of up <laughs> my alley, but it wasn't really something... Uh, I think I need to watch it. I mean, obviously, I need to, to finish it and watch it again, but uh, it's uh, very interesting. I mean, it's it's you know they're trying to kind of uh recreate this fake thing or you know like trying to go back in time like create this like nostalgic effect of the hmm. of the 80s almost like a documentary but you know it's this, this fake thing that's going on it's it seemed hmm. it's fun i found it a bit uh impenetrable yeah, uh, yeah. for me <laughs> <laughs> uh and that was uh i think that was my biggest problem and i i didn't get uh i wasn't like keen on the humor so mm-hmm. um I think it sort of felt short for me, but uh, it is an interesting experience just watching it. And uh, I'm interested to see um, the Spike Jones film, Her, because it seems like from now that I've seen um, Computer Chess and from what I've read about Her, it seems like they're both trying to deal with our relationship with computers, but in an entirely different way. Mm-hmm. But I also received a uh, preview copy of uh, the Kim Mordaunt film, The Rocket, uh, which is uh, this film about a boy uh, leading his family through um, Laos uh, in a time of... um, uh, It's like uh, riddled with all these um, bombs and this war-torn country. And he's trying to lead them from a village that will be... I think it will be laid to ground because of a new dam that will lead the river straight through their uh, village. So he's trying to get uh, his family to a new village and also trying to prove that he's not bad luck for the family because when he was born, his twin brother uh, died. So there's this um, mythology of when two twins are born, one is uh, good luck and one is bad luck. And... uh, they always thought that he was bad luck and he's trying to prove that he is a good fortune for his family. And it's this family film that is so sweethearted and light and just fun for, I think it's a really good family film that gives you the opportunity to 
uh, sort of introduce your children to uh, films from Asia and from a country like Laos that I, I think I've never seen another Laosian film before. Have you heard of this uh, film? I haven't heard of this film. It looks like Kino will be putting this out here in the States. This is the this is an Australian film, and it's been selected for their as their entry into the uh, Best Foreign Language Film in the at the Academy Awards this year, it looks like. Okay. Uh, yeah, Kim Murdoch, he's an Australian. But um, and I think most of the crew uh, also are Australian, from what I've uh, read in the notes. But uh, the kid actor, he is such a joy to behold, uh, such a delightful young boy, and so uh, earnest in his performance. Um, I really recommend people checking it out because it, it caught me by surprise. It's nothing that, it's nothing like grand or new or anything, but just a well-made family uh, picture. So. That was it from what is going on with the Masters of Cinema. But I thought we could talk about you, Ryan, and how you just, how did you get into like podcasting and the blogging world? Did you, were you active on the, uh, the film blogging community before you started Criterion Cast? Not really. I think uh, for the longest time, I only knew of sites like Ain't a Cool News uh, to get movie news and, you know, like rumors and things like that uh, for years. And then, it wasn't really until uh, I got a job working at a desk, like in a warehouse, and so I was able to listen to podcasts pretty much all day long, every day <laughs> of the week. And so I had to go out and, and explore all of the various folks who were making podcasts. I was trying to find what, what the good ones were and and not really, I mean, like I, it was mostly kind of like I'd find one that I liked and then... From there, I would kind of go to ones that were related to that. Eventually, I stumbled upon like the Slash Film podcast. And so uh, that was a big inspiration, obviously, for the Criterion cast uh, when we started that back in 2009. Uh, I think it's been interesting over the years, like, uh, you know, like doing this and uh, how it's influenced and, you know, like changed the way that I've, you know, like thought about movies and, and watched movies and overall, just so that uh, I'm able to, like, you know, obviously get stuff in advance, but then. I don't know. I feel like I'm I've overwhelmed with the amount of movie stuff that I deal with on a day to day basis. Uh, <laughs> it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty overwhelming, but it's fun. I love it. Yeah, uh, the just the sheer output of your uh, Twitter feed, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and just uh, related news to Criterion. I have no idea how you are able to like get this amount of information out there. I, I'm impressed. It's uh. Yeah, I mean, it, it. I've I've over the years I've found new applications or web services to help automate some of this stuff, um, mm. but it is a lot of just going through RSS feeds, a lot of reading, uh, you know, reading through forums, reading through emails and stuff. People that people email me or uh, just trying to find you know interesting things to post on our Tumblr blog, but then also trying to kind of wrangle all of the people who are reviewing stuff for our website. Um, getting the reviews up in a timely fashion, dealing with, you know, like creating images for all the stuff and, you know, gathering video links and, and then just keeping a, a relationship going with all the various uh, PR folks that we deal with uh, mm. through all the studios. It is a full-time job that I try to do in the hours that I, after I get home from work at night, <laughs> <laughs> I try to squeeze all of that into like a few hours. Although like, and then I do that on the side. I try not to, use my phone that much when I'm around my daughter, hmm. you know, like in the mornings I try to, you know, be there for her. Uh, but you know, I often get distracted. And so I'm often checking through RSS feeds most of the day. Mm. Yeah. Because like the juggling of private life and podcasting, it's something that I'm struggling trying to find time to do this, uh, while I'm studying and working, uh, part time. But, uh, you that have a full family and a, pro and a full time job, it, it must be incredibly hard just to find time to sit down and watch a movie. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost impossible, uh, to do what I'm doing. And I feel like I, I'm constantly feeling like I need to dial things back on the podcast. I mean, that's obviously why there haven't been that many episodes being produced. Mm over the past couple of years. I mean, we've slowed things down a lot and it's mostly just because I feel like I, I don't have the time to watch a movie. I mean, I, I keep, uh, you know, thinking like, Oh, well we should do an episode on seven samurai. And that one has been like on my plate for a long time. Uh, mm -hmm. but I, you know, when I get home at night, I'm getting home at midnight 
And so then it's like, how much time can I devote to what, like getting through all the supplements and feeling like I'm confident enough to like discuss this release on a, on a podcast. And, you know, like if I'm falling asleep at two or three in the morning and then waking up at eight when my daughter wakes me up, I just don't have enough time to really devote myself to this. And so I'm kind of at the point now where, uh, we record podcasts like about, you know, like the news episodes are really easy because it's just us talking about, you know, reacting to the news or, or talking about what has happened over the past month. And, you know, in December, we'll be doing more of like the wrap up stuff at the end of the mm. year where we talk about, you know, all of our favorite releases and all the stuff that's coming out or that we want to come out next year, our, our wish lists. Um, but it's, those are a little bit easier than actually sitting down and talking about a movie where I have to have spent, you know, a number of hours throughout the week preparing for it. It's, it is very hard and it's, uh, I would not recommend anyone try to do this just because it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a lot of work for very little reward. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, um, that's a hearty recommendation for my future life. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, it's a uh, very little reward monetarily The the, yeah. the emails and the feedback and stuff is always fun. And, you know, yeah. uh, that's always, that's even like even little emails where they say, oh, you know, I, I, I wish you guys would put out more episodes, but you know, and I'm a big fan of the show like that. Even those little things make me feel happy and it makes it, it uh, I wouldn't say like I can live off of emails like that, but it's, it <laughs> certainly makes it, you know, worthwhile uh, to, to do the show. What do you get out of it? Like doing podcasting? Uh, what, what is your reward except for the uh, feedback? Of course. Uh, I think just hanging out with uh, all of the folks who have kind of, that we've gathered together on the various shows, guests mm. from other websites. Um, but the, I think like the core group of guys now, like James and Travis, uh, David Blakesley, Scott and I, uh, now Sean Hutchinson, like all these guys are, are just really great movie nerds and we're all kind of on the same brain wavelength and we can mm. all, uh, you know, like, and then we're all following criterion news so fanatically that it's 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 fun to be around other people like that because i don't i don't have anyone at my work or in my close group of friends in real life that are quite as obsessed about the criterion collection as we are mm. on the website and so it's fun to uh spend a couple hours every week um you know like virtually chatting with everyone you know like our, this is our film club essentially it, it's kind of the same for me i have no one in my close relations that are even interested in uh, art house movies so this is sort of like the only output uh, i have where i can i can talk about films with people that are interested in something that isn't at the cinemas right now like people watching french movies or black and white movies or movies that are older than uh, 1980 i mean it's it's my only it's my only option really to <laughs> talk about these movies and like finding people that are like-minded it, it's always uh, fun and we're not doing this for money or there 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 is no money in, in this uh it's only um it's only expenses and we do this because i don't know uh, just discussing movies and being nerdy about this uh, it's just so much fun it really is. Uh, there's, there's a, there was a new podcast I think that started up recently. This is and not film related, but like a tech podcast. Um, that's trying out an experiment where they don't record the podcast, but all they do is put out show notes of the stuff that they talked about. It's, it's a really mm. like crazy thing because it's not really a podcast because you're not, it's not something that you can listen to, but you go and subscribe to like their stuff that they talk about. And I thought like, you know, that would be an interesting experiment from a film perspective because like you could create like a, a, a post and you know, like then you would have, you'd have far less cost because you wouldn't have to host the audio files. You would barely mm. have to like, you know, create a website surrounding it. You could just, do an email newsletter of all like here's what we talked about on the podcast this week and then like you know a series of notes and links and things to uh the people who are like you and like you go and read this newsletter and think oh yeah this is the stuff that i'm interested in as well and you would you and you wouldn't have to listen to this podcast but anyway that's 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 a total tangent uh, but the thing that i enjoy about uh, listening to shows like criterion cast and other podcasts is that it's just a relationship and the uh the rapport between the hosts um that is something that is as important as the uh, content of the show i think yeah i i agree i mean that that is something that is is 
I've had to work at over the years to try to figure out uh, what is the best approach to this podcast. Is it should we come at this from a scholarly perspective? Should we come at this from a just kind of film geek, uh, you know, roundtable where we're just talking about our experiences with the movie? And or you know, do we should we go through a movie chronologically? Should we uh, you know like deal with the more like the heavier thematic elements of films? And you know, and what's but in the end, I think I found that what whatever the most fun we can have. Uh, talking about a film is usually the is what people will uh, enjoy listening to and mm. and so that's just kind of how we've ended up approaching or at least that's where we're at now uh, i have mm. ideas for what i would like this show to become or at least tr- to test out down the road to make it more like a radio program or you know make it more like something a little bit more professional sounding but right now it's uh it's a pretty relaxed environment where we don't have to do, like i don't have to do much editing in the end just because i can you know i, f- I feel comfortable with the conversations that we have hmm. uh, the thing about approaching these podcasts uh, i used to have a solo show uh the film man and that was sort of an experiment experiment for me uh, after i finished my master's degree in film studies i wanted to continue like studying film but on a hobby basis but the thing that i found is that it became so much more work related or it it felt like i had to study and i had to prepare and i had to like do this kind of essay on my own whereas the last episode i recorded on the film man was a conversation just between me and hunter Dusing, a previous guest on the show where we talked about uh, solaris uh, the tarkovsky film and solaris the soderbergh film and i had so much fun doing that that i I could never go back to just recording like a an essay, an audio essay on the film just solo because I don't get as much out of it as just talking with other people and sharing our experiences. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I would never be able to do the the solo project of just talking to, you know, to, to the imaginary audience. I think Tom does it really well, though, on his uh, that twenty four frames podcast. That we, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I think when I've listened to his show before, when he do, when he you know when he covers Criterion releases, uh, I I love listening to his uh, solo stuff. Mm. And I I'm really looking forward to. I know he has a um, a follow up to the Ridley Scott uh, retrospective that he's doing, and also a David Lean retrospective. So. Those are like big mammoth shows that he really wants to do, but uh, hasn't had time to do uh, yet. Uh, uh, just talk about briefly, uh, what's like the biggest challenge for you going ahead with Criterion Cast? And how do you, uh, do you have an aim for the show or are you just playing it by ear? Uh, I'm definitely playing it by ear. I have, right now I have a short-term goal of trying to, and short-term in like the next year, or or less than that, maybe half a year. Or so just to to test to finally put together like a a new format for the show, and maybe in the vein of something like Jesse Thorne has a show called Bullseye, and he used to do the Sound of Young America, and he does this other show called Jordan Jessico. He's like he does a kind of a, a more uh, general kind of pop culture show, this Bullseye, and I would like to do something like that with Criterion material and have various guests come on and produce individual segments with things, have interviews and, and whatnot. It's something that I've been thinking about for the past year. And it's mostly just a matter of me having the time to sit down and kind of lay out what I want the episodes to be. It'd be a lot more preparation and a lot more production, but I think mm-hmm. it would, I think it would end up creating something that I would feel like, all right, well, all of this were all of these years of doing the podcast have been kind of leading up to this new you know, whatever new season or, you know, version 3.0 or whatever of, of the <laughs> podcast, you know, the biggest challenge is just the, the time that I don't have to, to, mm. to work on it. You know, I have, I, I have my daughter in the mornings, I work all night and then I get home from work and then I try to squeeze in any work on the website that needs to happen or any reading that I would like to do or any watching of movies. So I have like a, like a very short window every day to, have some time alone to actually get things done, you know, in my life that, but, and then, you know, I have the weekends, but the weekends are mostly like I have Friday where I record the podcast with the criterion cast. And then 
Saturday, I, you know, I do have a wife that, that would like to spend some time <laughs> with. Uh, and so that's like, that's our what? one night. That's I, crazy. I know it is very, it is very selfish of me to want to have yeah. <laughs> uh, any time alone with uh, my partner. But, uh, so yeah, time is definitely the thing that I have the least of that I need in order to make the show better or, you know, devote to watching more movies and, you know, writing on the website. Hmm. You mentioned that you're looking to take this to the third version of the show. And I guess if uh, listeners don't know, uh, Criterion Cast, you started with uh, three hosts, uh, Rudy Obais, yourself, and Travis Gallagher, wasn't it? Travis George. Yeah, Travis George, sorry. And Rudy re left the show. And um, we don't have to talk about the circumstances around that. But how did you deal with the like transition to a new show? And how did you uh, land on what you're doing now? You know, it was tough. I was, it was exciting because I wanted to, there were a lot of things about the show that I wanted to kind of, you know, change up or, or maybe lighten the mood or, or make it more fun for everyone. You know, I think one of the biggest changes that we implemented a year or so ago was when we kind of broke up all of the shows in that we, uh, no longer did news and new release discussions, uh, within the episode itself. We, kind of broke that off and had them them be their own shows where people could listen to like an episode of the news or an episode of us talking about new releases uh, or us talking about a film. One piece of, I guess, criticism or a negative feedback that we would get every now and then from listeners who are finding old shows was that the news discussions were often out of date, you know, after, after however many months it was that uh, a listener would go back and find an old episode <laughs> and they would say like, well, you know, I just want to listen to like, you know, the episode is mm. kind of has the title of the film that you're discussing, but you don't get into that until 30 or 40 minutes into the show. And then you talk about it for another 30 or 40 minutes. And so I felt like there, there was a group of listeners who just want to hear the movie talk. And then there's other people who enjoyed all of the other us rambling about news or, or, or unrelated uh, to the Criterion Collection kind of material. Mm. Uh, and so that was what I wanted to do with splitting up the shows. In fact, in, in essence, giving myself a little bit more work in the back end of like produ producing everything. But it was I think it was a great decision because now with uh, I think we end up getting more positive feedback for like the film discussions and then there are a, a, like a, a significant group of people who who love listening to the news stuff because that's like you know that that taps into the the criterion geek that follows stuff on twitter and follows you know like the, the forums and things like that hmm. uh, and I, I that's that's why i wanted to change uh the show up in that way and i think it was i think it was for the best I would agree. Um, I've I've listened to your show since uh, last summer, I think, and uh, I I just blasted through your entire library in a summer uh, where I worked. Uh, I worked nights at a postal office, and um, when you work nights, you don't uh, talk to people much, <laughs> so you're just kind of left in your own world. And uh, it was just a great um, great way to spend eight hours sorting mail manually, which is uh, kind of tedious and um, made time go a lot faster, I would say. But um, one news that we can discuss with Criterion is the uh, release of The Fantastic Mr. Fox, because yeah. that is an animation film. And that is the first time they are releasing an animation film, isn't it? It is. It's something that we've all been hoping for. Uh, they did release Akira back on Laserdisc mm. uh, in the in the Laserdisc era, but since they've been releasing DVDs and Blu-rays, there hasn't been any animation apart from you know like the kind of uh, the stuff that the like the Stan Brackage stuff, or uh, which I don't know if anyone would cl classify that as animation. Uh, and then there's like little bits of animation in like you know uh, the Life Aquatic. There's mm. there's like some claymation in there, but that doesn't really count. No. But yeah, this is the first full feature animated film that's. Uh, joining the collection, it's it's huge. It's uh, and I think everyone is happy that it's this film. Um, there's not a there's not a whole lot that Criterion can get their hands on that uh, would fit with their like brand, I guess, right now. Um, but I think this absolutely fits. Mm. Uh, I really want to get that uh, Matt Solar Sites book, the that you've been talking about, the West Anderson oh, yeah. book. It, it's fantastic. Yeah, it looks incredible. But uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, to seeing this release. Uh, do you have any other animation films that you would like to see in the collection? I mean, there's there's stuff that I think 
deserves to be in the collection because of the quality of it you mm. know something like the iron giant like that's a mm. a classic i mean a modern classic it's just a beautiful animated film uh but you know given the right situation with uh warner brothers there's no way that's going to happen but it would be it would be a nice treat um i think you know the fantastic planet and even like time masters or kandahar or stuff that the masters of cinema has released i think that would probably do well with criterion uh but i don't see it doesn't seem like they're in any hurry to get this stuff into the collection so i don't know if that will happen there's also the the old lot reniger stuff a lot of reniger stuff the uh, adventures of prince ahmed um, but those are owned by uh, milestone here in the states and so they will probably end up releasing that on blu-ray I know that was just released in the in England from the BFI and uh, over on our website, Scott reviewed that Blu-ray. And it's I mean, that's such an incredible piece of uh, animation, just like film history. Mm. The Adventures of Prince Ackman. I love those those paper cut animated stuff that they did. Mm. What uh, what is your like relationship with animation? Did Was it something that you grew up with or did you kind of uh, find your way into your own uh, sort of tastes later in life? Oh, it's definitely something that I grew up with. It was something that I, I mean, as far back as I can remember, I've loved cartoons and animated films and, uh, and comics. And, and then as I've grown up, that, that hasn't changed. And in fact, I think I'm getting even deeper into it as I now have my daughter and I want to kind of expose her to more animated stuff, mm. uh, even like older Disney films, newer Disney films, uh, we watch various animated stuff on like public broadcast here in the States, which is some of it is actually pretty good. But, you know, I love anything and everything that I can get my hands on animated wise. Uh, I'm a big fan of, you know, Adventure Time right now or uh, recently the the Batman, the Brave and the Bold was mm. re-released on Blu-ray, which is just an incredible piece of animation. But movies or television shows or anything, I I can't get enough. Uh, time masters uh, the film that we will be talking about today um do you remember the first time you saw it uh i don't i mean it was probably a few years ago whenever the dvd from masters of cinema was released it was something that i hadn't heard of but i obviously had heard of and seen uh fantastic planet this one was something that i i must have just found out about as it was being released from masters of cinema several years ago and i ended up ordering and importing the dvd along with gandahar and uh, it was some. I'm a huge fan of Mobius, the the illustrator mm. who essentially did the the animation alongside Rene Laloux. He also worked on Gandahar, but then he also, you know, back in like his comic strip days, he did. He helped kind of come up with the design for the Silver Surfer, and he's done just lots and lots of art. He's amazing. I mean, obviously, he passed away a few. I guess he passed away in in 2012, which was really sad. But he is just an incredible, you know, animator and illustrator that I was immediately drawn to this. Uh, when I was a kid, I was, you know, like th there was that in here in the States, there's the magazine, which I, th I think is still going around uh, heavy metal, which is kind mm -hmm. of like more adult science fiction, kind of horror comics. And then obviously there was the, the film, which is kind of an anthology of animated shorts based on comics or based on like the stories that were told in heavy metal. And I, and I remember stumbling upon that as a kid and that movie is not for kids. That movie has nudity. <laughs> it has lots of violence in it. Uh, so that was something that was I was exposed to probably when I was like, I mean, it, it was like the perfect time for me because I was looking for stuff like that. I was mm. looking for like the more adult animated stuff. I was probably like 12 or 13, maybe 14. But so it was, it was great to discover that on TV one night. And I'm, it was probably edited. But, you know, over the years, I've, you know, now it's on Blu-ray. And it's interesting, actually, I went back and rewatched Heavy Metal this week while I was preparing for this discussion of Time Masters just because it seems really connected. And I found that I liked it less now. Not not that like it's it's changed for me, but it's just I felt like it was kind of all of these the shorts were too short and it wasn't really getting into much. But it's fun when you're a kid and like there's all these various styles of animation that they're playing with and just lots of crazy violence in a cartoon that you're not they're not you're not used to mm, yeah definitely the the difference of experience is something that stays with you perhaps more than the uh film itself mm -hmm. yeah absolutely the fantastic planet uh the first film that uh, Rene Leloup made what do you think of that I love it I mean it's it's a masterpiece of a certain type of animation mm -hmm. but I think it's I was going back and rewatching some of it this week and like if I was going to show, I, I always now like whenever I think of movies, I think like okay, well, 
I, I think of it in the in how I would sh- approach it with my daughter. And so like I feel like I, I would almost want to show her Time Masters yeah. before showing her something like uh, Fantastic Planet. It's great and it I, it's got such an incredible style. It's got beautiful artwork, uh, but it's also like very slow and very. I mean, you mentioned impenetrable earlier when we're talking about uh, uh, computer chess, and I feel like that's it, in some ways it's impenetrable uh, for like I would imagine like kids to want to get into, especially now with the attention span mm-hmm. of, of children. It would it would be hard to get my daughter to sit through it and kind of appreciate it. So maybe it's something that I'll maybe have on. Uh, maybe one day I'll watch it and then and then let her kind of like be exposed to it. Mm. Maybe, maybe you know several years from now when she's <laughs> when she's old enough to kind of uh, understand what's going on in it. But it's uh, you know it's interesting the way that it deals with various kind of like socio political elements in a in an animated film about you know another planet. But I I love it. I I don't own the Blu-ray yet, but I I really want to. I have the DVD that Masters of Cinema put out, um, but I. I will get the Blu-ray one of these days. Mm. I remember when I watched Fantastic Planet, I was kind of caught off guard just by the adult themes in the film. And I was not used to watching animation that was so aimed at adult audiences. There was no attempt to like relate this to kids or anything. And that was a a different experience when I then watched Time Masters for the first time, because I was sort of expecting this more uh, adult themed Mm -hmm. uh, kind of, um, again, impenetrable. I think that that word's really, that word really fits Fantastic Planet as well, where you, you're kind of uh, less left battling with the themes and uh, battling with the characters, but this is much more straightforward, isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't, and, and, and I guess if anyone is listening and thinking like, oh, impenetrable, that seems like such a negative. Oh, no, 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 no. I, 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 yeah, I don't think so either. I think, I, I think that's actually to its benefit to be, to, for films like this to be a little bit harder to get into hmm. because I think it will stick in your brain and it'll, you'll think about it. You'll want to go back and rewatch it, uh, with films that are easy to digest or like Disney films or anything that's kind of modern cartoons for kids. Uh, here in the States anyway, like they're often like so easy and, and kind of disposable. Hmm. And so with something like Fantastic Planet, it's something that you want to go back and you, it, it kind of challenges you to want to be understood and, and you need to go back and rewatch it hmm. uh, more than once. And so I think that's what's and, and even with Time Masters. I mean, it's a little bit more straightforward, but I think I think there's still uh, a lot going on in it. I think there's uh, just some beautiful images and like the way that they approach the story as far as like just kind of scale and, you know, the way that the shots are framed. Just, there's lots of little things going on in here that that certainly American audiences wouldn't be used to in, in the current uh, style of animation that that's out there. I think this is maybe a little bit more in line with like the Studio Ghibli Miyazaki school. I mean, where they, you know, those are Often, like they they'll they'll let scenes go on longer than than American animation, or they'll hmm. you know focus on you know like raindrops hitting a, a puddle, something like that. There's like you know there's shots like that in Totoro or in Princess Mononoke. There's little shots here and there, and I and I, I feel like there's moments in Time Masters and in all in all of the the films of Rene Lalu uh, that where he lets things go on longer. He lets uh you know he he kind of includes shots that seem almost unnecessary but they're there and the, and it's it's they're, and they're beautiful too like they you know the, the backdrops that they created for some of these scenes are are gorgeous mm. it feels i don't know if you could say more cinematic but it, it feels more true to life uh where yeah. there's not this obsession with uh, getting to the point and trying to move the plot along uh, they take their time to like research or just uh, observe or just explore uh, different uh, different aspects of the world. There's like the cliched storylines of like you know princesses and princes and mm. or you know like the, the whatever like the whatever the five basic story uh, lines are. I feel like like there isn't a, a film out there that's like Time Masters. I don't think. I mean, there are stories that uh, deal with kind of time travel. And then like, you know, rescue missions and stuff. And, and there's stuff like that that has been approached in, you know, in Star Trek here in the States or in uh, other science fiction programs or films. Um, but I think the way that they, 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 they play with all the stuff together and then include, you know, like seemingly random elements like these, you know, the, the face, the white faceless alien mm. angels. I mean, that seems so kind of unnecessary for the story that we're seeing here. 
but it's a great little you know tangent to go on it's it's fun it's like you know it's such a great image these these blank uh angel alien character things mm. I have some comments about that later on, but just to talk briefly about what the plot of the film is, uh, it's kind of this race against time where this boy is stranded on uh, a planet, uh, Perdid, uh, after his father and he they crash land uh, after being attacked by hornets, I think. And we sort of see him run away from the, uh, the plane, and uh, the father dies in the uh, explosion of the plane. And then we see like this looming flying shadow go over the go over the forest like uh, place that he enters and piel the boy he uh, talks to the microphone which he calls mike um kind of cutesy and precious but um it sort of works this relationship between him and this uh this egg-like microphone and he gets in contact with this um this other crew that is out there uh, and they will come to rescue him. So it's this race against time. But it's interesting that the the opening five minutes, those are really intense where we see like this high speed chase and there's explosions and there's deaths. And there's this um, there's this sense of threat throughout these opening minutes. But afterwards, it really slows down and takes its time. And I think the crew mentions that, oh, we'll be able to reach him within a month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's not really a way to amp the, uh, the danger. Totally. That's, uh, that's interesting because it's, that's an element of science fiction that isn't really, or that's, that's cheated with in a lot of ways, uh, where like the, 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 the traveling time hmm. between planets, uh, in Star Trek, they get around that by inventing this imaginary <laughs> warp drive. Or like in Star Wars, they have light speed, so they and they can travel between planets, you know, in a blink of an eye. Mm. Um, but in reality, and in and in, in, in some good science fiction, they'll use the long traveling distances to their advantage, like in two thousand one, a space odyssey, or mm. in you know, in other stuff too. But here, that's it is important. And this movie is interesting because, like, they play with science in in different ways. Like, the time travel elements towards the end seem a little like I don't know if they're half thought out, but or or, or half explained. Mm. But it's, some of the stuff seems like they're they try to try to come up with like an explanation for for things and maybe didn't think it through all the way. Uh, but at least like they that I, that element of like, okay, well, it's going to take us a long time. We're going to have to hitch a ride on this, you know, the, the gravity of a comet <laughs> in order to like speed us up in order to get to this place. Uh, and then we have to hop between these different worlds because we have to, you know, uh, we have to go meet this guy or we have to, you know, it's going to take us some time to get there. That I, I, I really appreciate that. Mm, I think one of my biggest issues with the film is that it, it is so totally different. Um, it's such a difference within the film that it, it sort of jumps all over the place uh, totally. Yeah. And it sort of gels together in this uh, cohesive whole, but it's such a um, an experience that I kind of wish that it would have a more streamlined uh, feel to it. Yeah. I mean, I wish they would have had more. I wish they would have given it a longer running time as mm. well, where they could spend either spend more time in each of the places or, you know, just give us give us a, I could, at the end as well, like with the with the actual time masters themselves, mm. give us a little bit more there. Yeah. Uh, then it feels like that is kind of cut short too fast. And and the explanation of like how, you know, the traveling back through time and then having him grow up to be the old man again it's just passed over really quickly at the end and i i i go back and rewatch those last 15 minutes and i think like man they they really need to expand upon this <laughs> and uh, i think the first time i watched it i i i, I couldn't understand it I, I didn't get what what happened uh the second time i could i sort of uh i'd read the synopsis and i was kind of prepared for it but mm -hmm. uh, the first time you watch it you have no idea where this is going there's nothing that builds this moment of the time masters and it, it just changes the entire nature of the story and i read a comparison to uh 2001 where it's as if the monolith it hasn't been referenced before bauman checks it out at the end of the film oh yeah and it's just this psychedelic, like underdeveloped and uh, rushed sequence. I feel, yeah, uh, where 
you you have to condense so much information into like these 10 minutes and you have to process a lot of information that is just being told to you and it's not shown you through visuals or storytelling right. yeah and absolutely makes it uh, it makes it a bit difficult to uh, like wrap this up i totally agree i think ultimately what i love about this movie is just the the overall feeling and like kind of just the I don't know, like, I feel like it cr it creates uh, a an atmosphere in my head of like wanting to think about more science fiction or go and go out and explore more science hmm. fiction, especially like thinking about how I would approach watching this with my daughter thinking like, okay, well, this will help, you know, I often think about like, uh, like David Bowie music hmm. and, or, you know, like the Ziggy Stardust stuff, like his space music or his space songs and like how that kind of just it gets me in like the science fiction mode and that's what this movie does too like those opening moments of the of the film when they're racing across this 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 unknown this alien planet and there's that music playing and then it like you know like there's a shot of the, of the car driving across the plane and then it cuts to like the title card and and then it'll go back to them and then it'll cut to like more title cards like mm. there's just there's kind of like a, a a dynamism to like the or like there's just like it it moves at such a great pace those opening few moments of the film that it just you know it puts me in this other state of mind for wanting to go off and explore alien worlds mm. you mentioned that uh, you wanted to introduce this to your kid and i feel like this the animation in this is uh, so much more cartoony and kid-friendly than something like uh, fantastic planet where it's uh, much more how would you explain? Uh, I I don't know how how could you explain the Fantastic Planet animation style other yeah, than it, adults. Uh, I mean, it's like it's kind of f more fine art or like yeah. paint, paint painterly in a way. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's this is certainly more. If you were to watch this and then watch like any of like Hanna Barbera stuff or like even He Man or GI mm. Joe and things like that. I mean, the, the style of animation is very similar. Or at least like the character designs are very similar. Like even like you know the main guy the uh, on the ship. Looks like He Man almost. Yeah, in a way, and it's uh, and I'm sure there was influence going both ways across the across the ocean from France and uh and the states, and then also to Japan where a lot of the animation was was done. In in Fantastic Planet, you can you, you sort of sense that this is a East Block animation in from yeah. Czech, and then in Time Masters, there's much more a uh, an American feeling to it. I feel. Yeah, I mean, it might be that it's like that it's it's more French, and that maybe Americans took from that, uh, or they took from oh, yeah. you know, like they were influenced by, you know, like this was influenced from the the French uh, version of Heavy Metal magazine, like Metal Orlant. And this was, and so like, then Americans made heavy metal, and okay. then, uh, and so like, there's probably like, it's probably going, it's probably more like a conversation of like influence between the the various folks who were like going and exploring these, uh, you know, these new pieces of animation from across the ocean. But yeah, it's definitely it's it's very different than than Fantastic Planet. Mm. I have the film on in the background now, and it's at this this point where Silbad first speaks to Piel. And he sings this weird song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's sort of... And, and there's two sequences in the film where the characters are singing 2PL. And um, other than the fact that it, it kind of relates to this uh, this conversation we're having about how it's, it's more kid-friendly, it, it really stands out, these uh, musical sequences. Going back to the idea of, of some of the stuff not being well thought out, I wish there were there were more hints or moments with with PL talking to Silbad about kind of not, not they don't have to like hint at the fact that they're the same person but like I mean I guess you once you know how the movie ends and you go back and rewatch it then the, the, that moment has more meaning because he's essentially like talking to a younger version of himself hmm. but it's I wish that they had done uh, or, or like given you more clues to figure it out along the way in 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 moments like that. Hmm. There's no way you can you can figure it out before they tell you that Silbad is PL. But the second time you watch it, I caught up to all these hints that they drop in the dialogue that have no meaning the first time, and they have this sort of amusing effect uh, the second time you watch it. Yeah, 
It also makes you think about this endless like time travel loop that uh, is prevalent in all these time travel movies that you have no idea when this started. Uh, there's no starting point to the story. It's it's caught up in this loop that you can't get out of, like Terminator or something. Right. Like, I guess. Yeah, it, it is interesting to think about the, the the mechanics of how he went back in time. Like, I mean, because he had to because Jafar is his the, a friend of his father. Is this the starting point of the loop or is this like in at some point in the middle of the loop? His friend had that kid and left him on the planet and then that planet is transported back as they're going to save him and then he becomes so bad at, at some point and then yeah I, but, I, yeah because <laughs> it, <laughs> this is where it gets kind of heady because Silbad he's they're like present at the same moment so Silbad is trying to talk to PL he talks to PL when PL is a young boy so at some point PL would have to uh, survive at, on his own to be able to talk to himself later on. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of this, it, it, you don't know when this would start, but um, it's the problem with all time travel movies. I feel that at some point you just have to give up trying to figure out uh, where this started and just uh, go along with it. Yeah. And I don't think that they, I mean, it, it doesn't feel like they felt that that was something that they needed to explain in the no, movie. No. Like they thought like, well, we'll just, uh, we'll give you enough to make it, have it make sense in the end and uh or or make some kind of sense or like the hint that it makes some <laughs> sense and so then uh we you know and then you can think about it uh or let it eat away at you uh, over the over time and you'll want to come back and rewatch it yeah the the characters in the film it's it's such a weird collection of characters because you have on the one hand you have these uh like the, the young boy pl and you have this um these two gnomes and you have this Jar Jar Binks character at the end. I think Craig Keller called it that. <laughs> um, but then on the other hand, you have uh, these more serious characters like uh, Jafar and uh, the uh, the evil prince, which they're they're kind of their acting style is very very different, and it's kind of goes with this that the tonally the movie is kind of all over the place. But the gel of the collection of the characters, it's kind of. Um, it's something new. It's something that uh, I'm not. Uh, I haven't experienced much. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels very influenced by something like Star Wars, where there's you know like the the Han Solo character, this pilot of the ship, and you know his. Uh, I guess like the maybe like the 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 Princess Leia character in the form of the the two royal uh, royals who are uh, off on the run, and so and that was like it seems like there's a lot of movies that were not necessarily like stealing from star Wars, but kind of like influenced by uh, that, hmm. that wave of science fiction that came out of like the, the very late seventies. And so that's probably, that probably influenced this as well, or probably influenced like the, the writing process or maybe someone who, who had some influence in, in the writing process saying like, Oh, well you should include a, there should be a, an exiled prince and there should be, <laughs> you know, or, you know, there should be like a, a tough space pilot. Yeah. Uh, that's sort of, I was thinking about like Buck Rogers and these yeah. older serials, but also you get the feeling that they're kind of aiming for both the adult audiences with these more uh, adult characters and trying to like lure in the kids with these gnomes and uh, the younger boy and just the uh, the more cartoonish elements of the film. Yeah, it's weird that they call them gnomes. I mean, I, I have such a night like a clear visual of what I think of as a gnome, you know, with the, the pointy hat and all of that. And like the, but like, I don't, I don't know if that's just the, the way that it's translated. Do you think, uh, why they, why they refer to themselves as gnomes or, or why they're referred to as gnomes. It just seems like a strange term for like this alien little homunculus that doesn't seem like it's a, you know, it, it's only a gnome in that it's, he's small. Yeah. Uh, is that just like the, is that how it got translated? Do you think to, to gnome? I, I don't know. I, I don't speak French. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I don't know uh, what the original word was, but it feels like it, um, it could be a, a translation issue. Because, But uh, did you watch this film uh, with the English dub or uh, French uh, language? The French language. Right? Yeah. Uh, I watched it with the English dub because uh, I had some issues with the subtitles. And 
I watched the uh, like snippets of it with the French language afterwards, and it's it's such a different experience. And the English dub it never fits with the characters, the voices that they use, <laughs> and just just uh, the um, the motions that the character use and how they tonally say the say the lines. It it's so much better in the French uh, version. Uh, yeah, the English one is tough to find, so I, I I haven't watched that. I did I did find a copy of the English dub of Gandahar that I was watching earlier, which is actually not terrible, uh, <laughs> but it was like notoriously cut together by the Weinstein's um, a long time ago. Uh, but yeah, the, the the English dub of uh, Time Masters was hard for me to find, so I couldn't watch it. But I'm I am interested in checking it out. Hmm. I'm not totally opposed to like dubbing uh, in in English. I think it I think it has a really important use for exposing the, these types of movies to kids hmm. uh, who, who do, you know, don't have the patience to read a subtitle track or don't, you know, don't speak that language. Hmm. And it, it, like kids, when they watch films, they have the feeling that they, they aren't fully focused on the film. They usually do other stuff like draw or something uh, when they're watching the movie. So it's much easier for them to just listen without uh, necessarily watching it all the time as well. Yeah, absolutely. We were talking about the the angels, and that's the sequence of the film I feel that is most interesting in my eyes. Mm-hmm. It it feels very added on, and like it's such a detour in the storytelling. But I think it contains one of the best, or some of the best animated sequences in the film. When they go into like destroy it, that 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 moment right there, mm. or just the the overall, just the overall, whole, whole thing. just the yeah. movement of the angels and uh, yeah, the amount of animation that goes on in uh, those sequences. Yeah, there's even a a poster that Mobius did for the film where it's just the angel kind yeah. of stand standing on a on a, and it was used in some of the cover art and some of the posters and stuff. But it's like, and then you see Jafar kind of in his spacesuit uh, down below. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, f- for how little they take up, uh, time-wise in the film, they do have such an important part in the overall imagery of the film. Mm. And, and that poster you mentioned, it bears no relation to the film yeah. <laughs> at all. It gives an entirely different view of what the film will be about, but uh, it is an incredibly eye-grabbing shot. And uh, the, the comments that are being made in this sequence, um, it's very interesting. It's like the most dense portion of the film thematically where he's i think he's trying to say something about religion um with the baptism and how he's trying to assimilate or force these new visitors that are coming that are different as he says and he's trying to turn them into sameness and turn them into unity but it, it's this is a small segment in a much grander film, and it keeps it from being anything of depth. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. th- it's sort of glossed over. But uh, you can, af- I felt that afterwards, I I was left thinking about more uh, the themes that he was attempting to push at, but uh, maybe he didn't have time, or maybe he felt like I have to stay true to the more strict storytelling. Uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to exploring the themes that he did in Fantastic Planet. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just another one of those little seeds that he's planting in, in the mind of the mm. viewer to like let them you know think about later on and not have to worry about saying, like, well, I have this idea for these, these angels, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that in here, and I'm not going <laughs> to think it all the way through, and I'm not going to create a whole film around this, but it's something that's, you know, I don't, maybe I, maybe he didn't even know what it meant or like maybe he had, you know, maybe he had a dream about it or, you know, it's like, or, you know, maybe Mobius one day was just drawing this white angel and he's like, oh, we should include that in the film. What, what can you come up with a story around these, these white angels um, hmm. and, and include that somewhere? Maybe they go to that planet real fast. I, you know. It's interesting that the evil prince, he's sort of this incredibly selfish and uh, dangerous character uh, throughout the film, but um, he kind of self or he sacrifices himself in this scene and he's redeemed and that's two very christian notions mm-hmm. but it's used as a mode of battle against this autonomy and same thinking that is religion and it's interesting mm-hmm. that he uses like these very christian notions to battle christianity it feels like <laughs> yeah absolutely I don't know how how much he's redeemed, uh, like in the eyes of everyone. I mean, he's still he's 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 a bastard all the way to the <laughs> end, but uh, he, but yeah, I mean, he does save everyone uh, through this. Hmm. 
the uh, design we mentioned mobius and this is a sort of like super team up in the science fiction world yeah uh, from Rene Lalou, which made this masterpiece, Fantastic Planet, and Mobius, who is just coming off of heavy metal and alien fame. And the animation, it in my eyes, it's it's pretty coarse and primitive. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it looks good uh, when it's still frame and nothing's moving. And there are actually many shots where no one is moving. It's just like this freeze frame that is held for a second or two. But I recognize many of these tricks that I remember seeing as a kid on these uh, Saturday morning cartoons where you have to try to minimize the animation in each scene to like budget-wise and you get this repetitious character movement when several like uh, like light-drawn characters are moving through uh, a hall. It's sort of this (laughs) endless loop of just playing on and on and on. But uh, I feel that the animation, it's... I can't really distinguish it from this Saturday morning cartoons other than the, like, Lalu style. It is unmistakably his universe. Yeah, I, there are those, the shots of the planet, the, the the shots of the settings, or, you know, like, the shots of uh, when they first meet Silbad on his planet, where they, you know, those, those sequences with the, the flower blooming and the little uh, gnomes coming out of it, mm. like, that birthing scene was pretty, pretty incredible, and and that you know the opening shot, all the stuff with the hornets later on, or you know, like as 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 uh, PL is kind of exploring the forest. Uh, there's lots of little uh, like interesting bits of animation, but yeah, it's it's not like the greatest, most gorgeous piece of animation ever. Uh, but I I kind of like that it's coarse and a little a uh, little hard to uh, fall in love with at first, but just because mm. it's it's something that just it's it's risky uh, to do something like that. At least it would be risky if this was made if this was like an American film that somehow managed to be made back in the eighties uh, where they were dealing with these, these ideas and um, in, in this style of animation, I mean, maybe it wasn't that risky uh, in France to do this, but I, I, I there's again, like there's just, there's a, a feeling to it that makes me want to go, ex- want to go explore science fiction or makes me want to draw. It makes me want to go watch, like you said, old serials, old, old sci-fi serials. And, that electronic score, it, yeah, it, that's something that, uh, yeah, that's something that uh, I really caught on to the second time where it's just, especially the opening scene, it's such a such a pounding score that sets the moon uh, right straight off the bat. Yeah, it looks like uh, there's there's a site that I found where you can stream it, uh, the, the soundtrack, and it looks like it was available on vinyl at some point. So mm. uh, if, you, if you're into the soundtrack, you could probably go find a copy of the record. Uh, or hopefully maybe i don't know i'm going to try to find it mm. we can sort of uh get into the uh the release itself it's a bare bones release but um yeah. i don't own the release myself but i know it has a 36 page booklet uh, have you read that uh i flipped through it i think the essay there's a i'm i'm looking at the schizophrenic cinema of Rene Lalou by Craig Keller but that's on that's on the fantastic planet release mm. i think there's maybe it's on that cinema asparagus site there was some of some of the essay but anyway yeah there's there's his essay and then uh the, some interviews with with uh i think mobius or mm-hmm. i forget now i think it's uh i think it's mobius yeah but yeah i wish there was more to the to the release i wish maybe someone had recorded a commentary track or uh included some kind of making of behind the scenes uh with a little bit more information about like you know the, the production of the film or mm. how it was the how it was received in France at the time, giving us a little bit more context for how where this actually does stand in the world of animation at that mm. time. But for the most part though, I'm I'm happy with how it was released and, you know, the quality of the release itself, just seeing some of the you know, like if you look on YouTube, there's some pretty bad copies of it out there and this looks pretty good. There's some there are moments where like it gets a little blurry or, you know, like it's not the most pristine copy of, of, of this film, but for the most part, looks pretty good. I would be happy to see this upgraded to Blu-ray mm. uh, if they ever got around to it. Although I don't know if that's high on their list. <laughs> like a, a double release with this and Gandahar. I think Gandahar oh, yeah. is going, I think it's out of print actually, but they're still selling some uh, backup copies on their offer site. Yeah. This one is available for like eight pounds i think mm. uh time masters on their on their deal site and uh if anyone hasn't taken advantage of that site that site is is amazing and it's you know free shipping 
essentially anywhere. Or at least it's free shipping to the states, and so I've I've picked up quite a few releases from that one. Yeah, and another great thing about it is that they, if you order more than uh, one or two movies, they they still list the uh, the price on the package uh, really cheap, so you get around the VAT and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, really handy for me, at least. <laughs> yep. Do you have any last thoughts about Thymasters? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think we've covered most of the things that I love about it, just the various, uh, like, you know, the art and design of the film itself is really what I I latch on to is just the, the beauty of, of Mobius's illustrations. Hmm. And, you know, some of the character designs aren't, like, you know, particularly memorable, but I, I think, like, the design of the angels, like, the spaceships, I love his use of of scale in a lot of the scenes where he hmm. uses like really huge, uh, you know, like he'll pull the camera back to where like the characters are really small on the screen, but then you really get a feeling of how big the world is that they're trying to create, you know, w- whether it's like the planets or the ship that they're flying on. Um, just little things like that are, are really fantastic. Mm. Uh, one thing I noticed was that uh, in many scenes, they, they have, they're having like a conversation and Lalu he cuts like further and further away from the characters just to yeah yeah and and they're still talking but and some of the things they're saying it's important for the story but uh, he's still just trying to put it in a larger context it feels like like visually yeah and then i and, and i was saying earlier that i wish it was longer but like i, I kind of i mean again like i appreciate the the, the pacing of the film mm. and just the 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 hinting at of the hinting at a larger universe that mm. is exi- exists in like you know just the time masters themselves that race of of people that are uh, pushing this planet back through time to colonize it or or whatever it is that they're doing you know they they could they could give more to them but by by only showing you very little of them only showing you like one character essentially that is from that race uh, for one like, second, even yeah, for like one second, you get to, you finally we see what this ti- the movie the, the, why the movie is called Time Masters, and uh, and you know it's for like a couple seconds and they're gone. Uh, but that I I, I kind of like them planting that little seed in your head, like oh man, I'm gonna go off and imagine what who these people are and what mm. they do and you know what their physiology is just based on that one little shot. Mm. Okay, so um, what's next for Criterion Cast? Well. In the coming weeks, we'll be recording the end of the year stuff for 2013. So we'll do an episode where we talk about our favorite releases of the year. And then after that, we'll do an episode where we talk about uh, our wish list for what gets Blu-ray upgraded in the coming year. Stuff that we hope, uh, you know, finally makes its way onto Blu-ray. Those are always fun just because we get to sit around and, and come up with our lists. Uh, and then we'll probably do an episode where we talk about our favorite theatrical releases for 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen quite as many as as Josh or James or Sean or Scott, and so I'll have them on to uh, talk about their favorite releases, and I'll chime in when I have seen one of the films that they've they've favorited. But in 2014, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I I I would like to keep doing the podcast, and so as long as I have the time to do it, I'll I'll keep doing it. I don't. I've I've tried to take off the pressure of saying like, well, I need to release an episode every week. And so like we haven't done, you know, it's, we're on a very irregular schedule. Um, and it's mostly just because of, uh, time constrictions, but Mm. again, it's, it's, it's fun. And I, I plan to keep doing it until, until criterion tells me to stop. (laughs) (laughs) Well, looking forward to hearing it. Where can we find you online? Uh, I'm at Ryan Gallagher on Twitter. You can find my website at ryangallagher.org and, uh, all the stuff we do at criterioncast.com and yeah that's pretty much it uh, you can find me in all those places I, and twitter is probably where i'm most active in that like i share a lot of links uh, to various articles that i find interesting and so i'll i'll, I'll share a link to that there mm-hmm. i guess if you, anyone uh i'm, I'm going to be sharing a lot of like deals over the next couple of weeks as uh black friday here in the states comes uh on us like there's lots of amazon deals for blu-rays that you know, this is the time when everyone has been saving up their money, hopefully, and they're going to go and get some great deals on some discs. I mean, like, and, and around the web, around the internet too, like on like Deep Discount or DVD Planet or you know, all the various places that sell uh, movies online. Uh, I will definitely be like holding one eye open for these deals because um, <laughs> budget-wise, uh, I've been in a, a hard place lately, but uh, it's uh, loosening up now, so I might be able to purchase some more uh, Criterion Collection DVDs and uh, 
Masters of Cinema. Um, listeners, you can find me at MOC underscore cast on Twitter, and you can just search for Masters Cinema Cast on Facebook and Instagram and Tumblr. And please write me an email on mastersofcinemacast at gmail.com and tell us what you think about the show. We have a competition where if you leave a review, a written review, on uh, the U.S. iTunes page, you will be in the running for winning a uh, Blu-ray copy of either La Notte or Une Femme Marie. Um, so uh, please uh, leave us a written review and then just notify us within 10 minutes of uh, you writing that review so that we can uh, track which one is which. That was it for this year, actually. Uh, the next episode we will do will be a wrap-up episode with um, one of your friends, uh, Ryan, Scott, and I. Excellent so, year, yeah. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to just talking about Masters of Cinema uh, and the podcast that we've been doing and just kind of gathering our thoughts and looking ahead to 2014. Any uh, any hints or, or teases as to what your favorite releases from Masters of Cinema have been this year so far? I think the uh, Misaguchi set will be have to be. Uh, it's like the biggest set. It's the most comprehensive set. So mm -hmm. that's unmistakably the number one. But number two, uh, I I'm I'm a bit. Um, I think I have to spend the next two weeks just going through all the releases that I haven't been able to watch because uh, time wise I haven't had time just to go through all these new re new releases. But um, I think. The Birth of a Nation uh, is mm. probably a front runner. Very cool. What uh, do you have any um, like favorites from Master Cinema this year? When did that uh, Passion of Joan of Arc? Is that last year or was that? That was year? last year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just before Christmas, I think. I'd have to think. I don't know what I've gotten recently from that, or what I've uh, picked up. I usually uh, we send all of our stuff to Scott uh, mm. for for him to review. Let me just take a look real quick and see what uh, has come out recently. I mean, like I'm I really want to get that steel book for Nosferatu. Mm. Uh, I want to get the Red River release that they just did. Uh, what else has come out that I'm I'm just looking at their new release page? Oh, that Floating Weeds one was pretty great too. The, the Nosferatu uh, release, that's something that I really want to get my hands on, but um, just haven't had time or money to buy it yet. But um, that is also just listening to David Callett audio commentary. Uh, yeah. It's always uh, so much fun. Totally. Do you have anything else uh, you would like to discuss? I don't think so. I think that's about it. <clears throat> Thanks for having me on, though. It's so great to uh, join a podcast and not have to worry about being the host. I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, and then also just the you know the fact that there's no animation in the Criterion Collection until you know the Fantastic Mr. Fox. That means that like I don't get the opportunity to talk about animated films apart from just like you know whenever we squeeze in uh, hmm. talk about animated films. So it's fun to uh, talk about this stuff. It was great having you on, Ryan. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So, uh, until next time, goodbye. <laughs>